Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. In 2005, um, Tom Brady, he was already dominating the National Football League. At just 27 years old, he already had won three Super Bowls um, with the New England Patriots. I'm 27 years old, and I have zero Super Bowls. So that's how incredible he was, what a great athlete he was. At such a young age, he was on top. He was as top as top could be. He had all of the money, all of the fame, all of the success he could want, um, but there was something still missing. This is what he said in an interview with 60 Minutes in 2005. He said, man, I'm making more money now than I thought I could ever make playing football. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? It's got to be more than this. Thousands of years before that, there was a king in Israel who had a similar experience. Solomon wasn't a world-class quarterback, but he had seen some pretty awesome success. He had money, power, fame, and, and pleasure in abundance. But still, this is what King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. He writes, So I hated my life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of this is meaningless. A chasing after the wind, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. And, and maybe there's, there's some of us here today that are wrestling with similar questions or having, having similar feelings. Maybe this is you. Um, I'm finally a C-suite executive, but I don't feel satisfied yet. Or finally, I'm married, but he or she isn't quite living up to the expectations I created for them in my mind. They don't com- complete me, so what am I missing? I'm an A-plus student with a 4.0 GPA, but I feel like I can't catch a break. What if I slip up and I lose my academic standing? What if I don't get into my dream college? Then who am I? Then what do I do? I'm finally debt-free and financially stable, but I don't feel peace. Why am I so anxious? Why don't I feel accomplished or satisfied? It's got to be more than this. Well, in Psalm 23, verse 1, it says this. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Who or what you allow to shepherd your life will have a major impact on what your life is like. And so today we're talking about Psalm 23, the good life with the good shepherd. And this is our big point, our big question. I want you to maybe write it down, thinking about it, thinking about it later today or throughout this week or, or just this morning. The big question I want you asking yourself this morning is who is my shepherd? Because if you want the good life, as I think you probably do, I think we all do, you need the good shepherd. Let's pray together again this morning. Lord, we just pray that you would come and and speak to us today. Lord, give us um, eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, and soften our hearts to respond to you this morning. Draw us to yourself, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this psalm was written by King David, like many of the psalms. 
And I actually read that a lot of Bible scholars believe that David wrote this psalm as an adult. They speculate that he was likely looking back on his life and reflecting on the goodness of God throughout some of the craziest, scariest, but also best times of his life. So think back to like Sunday school days and recall some of the stories that you've heard about King David. We know that he was anointed to be the future king of Israel when he was just a teenager. He stood up against and killed the giant Goliath as a teenager. In his later teens, he lived his life on the run from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And he involved himself in a terrible affair and had a man killed in battle whenever he was king. So David was a man who experienced a lot of great victory, but also great failure and and great fear. And this is what he wrote. So I want to ask you to read these verses out loud with me from Psalm 23. Let's read them. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. So I'm sure you've probably talked about shepherds before in here, so let's, let's think back and remember to what a shepherd's job is, uh, what a shepherd does. Um, and uh, I've got a, a video to kind of illustrate that. So at its most basic level, the role of a shepherd is just to keep the sheep alive, right? To keep them safe. And as we can see, sheep aren't like terribly smart, so they need a lot of help in that field. They need a lot of help staying alive. Um, and David himself was a shepherd, as you might as you might remember. So for David to call God his shepherd, it communicates a profound intimacy and familiarity that he had with the Lord. And so David's looking back on the whole of his life the good, the bad, and the other. And he says, man, the Lord has taken really good care of me. Sure, I've been through some rocky seasons, but there's still nothing that I lack. There's nothing I still need, for God has given me everything I need. And so from here, we're going to break up this psalm into three different parts to see how the Lord is a good shepherd and why we should follow him. And so first, let's look at verses 2 and 3. We see that the Lord provides David writes, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. And so I don't want to overcomplicate it because I think it's, it's really quite simple, but what do sheep eat? Grass. Yeah, a few people said it. It's not like a trick question. You can say it loudly. Here's another one. What do sheep drink? Water. Yeah, they eat grass and they drink water. David's saying that God has provided him with his most basic needs for life, food and water. Green pastures emphasize nourishment and abundance. Green grass is healthy grass. It's good for eating and it's good for rest. 
pasture means that it's more than just your backyard, although here in Greenbrier, it might be exactly what that means, your backyard. You got tons and tons of acres. Where I live in Conway, I got this much backyard. So like it'd be more, 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 more. Talking acres of green grass. God doesn't just provide David with the bare minimum. He gives even more. He provides for him in abundance as an expression of his love and of his care. And this isn't a foreign concept for us. We've, we've heard this plenty of times before. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, Look at the birds. They don't store up their food in silos, and yet their father feeds them. And what about the lilies? Look at them. They don't make their own clothes, and yet even King Solomon was not clothed as beautifully as them. Does God not care more about you than he does the birds or the lilies? Won't he then feed and clothe you? Jesus says that your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows that you need them all. And then in verse 33 of chapter 6, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. If we look again at Psalm 23, verse 3, David writes, He leads me along the right paths. Other translations here will say that he leads me on paths of righteousness. And so hear me say this this morning, like we are not expected to do any of this in our own power because it is God who leads us along the right paths, who leads us along the paths of righteousness. And when we are walking with God, we don't have to worry about anything because he provides it and he provides it in abundance. And so David follows the Lord because it is God who provides him with his most basic needs in abundance, food, water, rest, and even the very ability to follow him. It is God who provides and it is also God who protects. So in verse 4, David writes, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David is acknowledging here that his life hasn't always been green pastures. And this is important for us to recognize because life with the Good Shepherd does not mean life without difficulty. David says that even when I go through that dark valley, not if I happen to go through the dark valley. However, even in the valley, David does not fear any danger, harm, or evil because he knows that God is with him. And it's not just an intellectual knowing or like an experience uh, but it's an experiential knowing. It's not just an intellectual knowing, but an experiential knowing. David wrote many other psalms as testimonies of the Lord's provision in his life. In Psalm 91, he writes, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He writes in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. And in Psalm 116, he writes, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. So remember, David is writing this psalm as an adult. This isn't in platitude. It's not a platitude or an empty promise, because David knows firsthand of the Lord's faithful and reliable protection. And so we've seen so far in these verses that it's the Lord who provides our most basic needs in abundance, that he protects us from danger, harm, or evil. 
And lastly, we're going to see that God prepares a feast and he prepares a home. So we'll look in verse 5 next. He writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Um, so has, has anybody seen the Lord of the Rings movies? Just raise your hand if you've seen the Lord of the Rings. Awesome. Great. Plenty, plenty of people. So I can use this reference and we're all going to know. We're all going to know what's going on. So um, in Lord of the Rings, I never really like seen them much until like JC and I started dating. But now I really like these movies. We always watch like the extended edition. So that's like 100 hours worth of movie. So we split it up over four or five days and like watch one half and the last half or whatever. Because otherwise I just fall asleep and I'm going to miss like a bunch of stuff. Um, but uh, but but I really do enjoy them. I enjoy watching those movies. There's there's this scene in the third movie, the last movie. So if you haven't seen it, it's a little bit of a spoil spoiler alert. But they've been out for a long time, so you kind of have missed missed your chance. But there's this scene in the third movie, Return of the King, and they kind of like just give a super general idea of what's going on in this movie here. Um, basically, the good guys they know that they're outnumbered by the bad guys. And so they need, like, some help. They need to find some other people to come and help them fight this battle, or they just know that like, they're not, they're not going to win. And so three of the heroes from the good guy team, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, they go to the ghost king to see if, if he will help them. Because that's what you do when you're in trouble. You go see the ghost king and see if he'll decide to help you. So in the movie, they, like, it's this really dark, kind of scary cave. They walk in. There's, like, eerie music. You don't really know what's going to happen. Then all of a sudden... Um, just out of the stone just emerges this ghost king. He can do that because he's a ghost. And he, he comes out, and Aragorn, Aragorn asks him, he said, hey, we're, we're really outnumbered. Like, we really need your help to fight this war. And the ghost king says, no, why, why should I care about your war? Like, we're not going to come help you. And Aragorn's like, no, I don't think you understand, though. Like, we really, really need your help. Like, would you please, please, like, come help us fight this battle? And at that moment, like, all of these ghost soldiers just emerge out of the stone. And they're just surround. They're, like, these three guys in the middle of this dark cave. They're just surrounded by these, like, green, skeletal-looking, like, ghost soldiers. The music is really eerie. It's, like, a very scary sight. It's, like, we're begging for help. Now we're surrounded. Are you going to kill us now? Because we've got to go back and tell these other people that we're not coming, that you're not going to bring help. And so I just want you to try to picture, like, that in your mind. Like, it's a scary situation. They're surrounded on all sides by thousands and thousands of these ghost soldiers. There's, it's dark, it's, it's gloomy, there's, there's like eerie music playing in the background, and you're just surrounded. Now I want you to imagine that Aragorn, this, this big hero from the good guys, he pulls out of his satchel like a folding table. And there in the middle of all these soldiers, he just lays out this folding table, undoes the legs, sets it out. And then out of his, out of his bag, he pulls out like, like, um, like ham legs and like turkey legs and just like and cakes and fruits and veggies and all these desserts and just starts piling all this food on this table surrounded by all these people. And he pulls out three folding chairs and, and as this table is just spilling over with, with food, he says, you guys hungry? Let's just go ahead and sit and eat this meal surrounded by all these ghost soldiers. And it's a, it's a really ridiculous example, but I think this is kind of the picture David's trying to paint for us in this psalm. He's communicating that he could be surrounded by great danger on all sides, but still he's unafraid. 
He's unworried and he's unhurried. He's just sitting at this great feast with God. And we're not talking just like a sack lunch, like ham and cheese sandwich with some Lay's potato chips. Like this is a huge Thanksgiving-like feast. The table is spilling over with food and the cups are overflowing. It's a party for just David and God right there in the midst of this danger. We see here again that God does not provide the bare minimum. He's too good for that. He provides in abundance. And now in verse 6, David writes, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Here, David recognizes God as his home, as his shelter. And he communicates a confident trust, knowing knowing that nothing can remove him from the faithful pursuit of God's love. David, being a Jew, and and then even Israel's king, he was well familiar with the covenant that God had made with his people through Moses on Mount Sinai. The Lord made the promise to be their God if they would be his people. And the incredible thing is that the Old Testament is just full It's full of accounts of Israel not holding up its end of that agreement. Time and time again, they turn their backs on God, thinking they can figure it out on their own and be just fine. But even when they would turn their backs on God, he would faithfully pursue them through the prophets and judges to turn Israel's face back towards him. And so I want you to understand how greatly this applies for you and for me this morning. On this random rainy Sunday morning, thousands of years after David wrote this psalm, because we too live under a covenant, a lot like the one David lived under, only ours is like a lot better, a lot better. Rebbe and John 10 next, you don't have to turn there because it's going to be on the screen here in a moment. But we just finished like this John series that we did for many, many weeks. So you might, you might remember it. The Gospel of John, it's full of all these I am statements. These I am statements that Jesus, that Jesus makes. Like, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the living water. I am the gate, and so on. And without, like, diving too deep into all of that, um, what I want you to understand is, is this about, about the Gospel of John. John writes his Gospel the way that, sorry, the way that John writes his Gospel and the purpose of these I am statements is to make the unequivocal and undeniable claim that this man named Jesus He's been walking around and healing and forgiving people. It's not just a man. He's God in the flesh. And then in John 10, 11, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Alluding back to Psalm 23, Jesus says, the good shepherd that you've grown up hearing about, that David wrote about, it's actually me. I am the good shepherd who provides. I am the good shepherd who protects. I am the good shepherd who is about to prepare the way back to God for you. And this is what I mean by a better covenant. Because in the covenant of the Old Testament that David lived under, a sacrifice had to be made to God to make up for the sins of the people. And just a few chapters later in John, Jesus, he does exactly what he says he was going to do. He lays down his life for the sheep. 
he is killed on the cross by Roman soldiers. And in his sacrifice, he makes up, he pays for all of the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. He repaves the road back to God. So that humankind may once again have a close, personal relationship with the God who created them. Jesus proved himself as the good shepherd by sacrificing himself for his sheep. And he's offering to be your good shepherd. He's offering you provision and protection, and he has prepared a place for you in heaven with him. So I ask you again the question that I asked you at the beginning. Who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? There are a lot of shepherds out there. There are a lot of options. You could be shepherded by a desire to fit in and to be accepted. You could be shepherded by the 24-hour news cycle or social media. You could be shepherded by sports affiliations. You could be shepherded by your career aspirations or your relationship dreams. And each of these shepherds has something to offer. They might offer you a taste of satisfaction or some, some monetary affirmations. They might give the mirage of acceptance or community or some sense of belonging. But that's all that it is. It's just a taste. It's no feast. And it will quickly run out. And none of those shepherds would sacrifice themselves for you. There's only one good shepherd. His name is Jesus, and he did sacrifice himself. He did die for you and for me. So usually it's at like this point in a sermon when the preacher might ask you, if you were to die right now, where would you go? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Now I think that's a fair question to think about what's going to happen after that, after we die. And it's a question that we should consider because I do believe that hell is a real place that people go to if they die without knowing Jesus. But the question I really want to ask you this morning, right now, is how are you going to live? How are you going to spend your life? Are you going to spend it following bad shepherds that will only end up leading you to dry lands with no grass and no water in sight? Are you going to continue to live dissatisfied, frustrated, or spiritually tired? Or are you going to follow the good shepherd to the good life? Because, hear me say this, understand this, salvation is about so much more than life after death. I fully believe that Jesus is just as much concerned with your life right now, in this moment, this day. He cares that you're feeling dissatisfied. He cares that you're burnt out. He cares that you're afraid, anxious, unsure, tired. He cares about you. Jesus is the answer to the question, isn't there more to life than this? Jesus, as the good shepherd, offers the good life. Not a perfect life, not an easy life, but it's a full life, an eternal fellowship with him and the Father 
and the Holy Spirit. So who is your shepherd? Who are you allowing to shepherd your life? There's a lot of applicants. There's a lot of voices. There's only one good shepherd. So I want to give you a moment to think, to take some stock of your life. Tyler's gonna, Tyler is going to sing a song here in a moment. We're going to have the opportunity to, to think about this, to, to respond to this. But, but ask yourself, think about this. What kind of life are you pursuing? Who's shepherding you? What kind of life are you modeling for your family, for your children? Who's shepherding you? What shepherds are you allowing to guide your life? Follow the good shepherd instead. Because life with him is so much better. And he's so much better. Whatever your situation this morning, you can follow the good shepherd. By the power and the grace of God himself, you can follow him. That's what he's inviting you to. So do it. Pursue the good life with the good shepherd. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.